Good morning, friends. Glad you guys are all here. It's good to see some new faces here as well. Wanted to get us started. So <clears throat> a couple weeks ago, we concluded a mini-series, kind of going through a couple different mini-series this fall. Uh, we concluded a mini-series on Philippians uh, around the topic of joy. One of the things that I want to be doing, or I want to do the next uh, few weeks here, I'm going to... Um, we're going to go through, for the next, leading up to Advent, we're going to go through a series called Life of the Beloved, which is inspired by uh, one of my favorite books uh, by Henry Nouwen called Life of the Beloved. Um, and so uh, we're going to be looking at um, a few different topics centered around this theme of um, what it means to live as people who are loved by God. So let me kind of introduce you a little bit. If, if, I'm not sure if you've read this book or not, but I want to give you a little bit of background uh, about uh, Henry Nouwen. He was working at Yale Divinity School uh, during the last part of the, 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 the last century um, when a, he got a knock on his door uh, from a journalist named Fred um, Bratman, who was at the time working for the New York Times, the Connecticut uh, division of the New York Times, and was coming to him to interview him about what his kind of role was at Yale Divinity School. And this began, this one interview began kind of a long relationship because as Fred Bratman was beginning to leave the interview, Henry Nouwen stopped him for a moment. He said, hey, are you, I just wanted to ask you a question. Are you satisfied, like, in your job? And he was like, not really. And it began this discussion around kind of what his real desires were. Fred Bratman was a secular Jew um, at the time, and the discussion became so vibrant between the two at the time, uh, at the very conclusion of that interview, that Henry Nouwen actually invited him. He said, you know what? Because Fred Bratman said what he really wanted to do was write a novel. But he uh, is in this journalism job, and he didn't really, was kind of unsatisfied with it. So Henry Nouwen invited him to be part of his staff at Yale Divinity School. And he said, you know what? I'll, I'll find the money. I want to invite you to be, do a year-long year internship um, at uh, Yale Divinity School, so you can have time to write your novel. And it began this long friendship uh, between Henry Nouwen and Fred Bratman. And Fred Bratman uh, got to a point in their relationship where he said, you know, I'm a secular Jew. Um, why don't you write something that would convince me and my friends about Christianity? And so as Henry Nouwen sat, to, sat down to write he came up with this one phrase that he said, here's the one thing I want you to know, you and your friends. He said, you are the beloved. That's the one thing I want you to know. You are loved by God. And that's actually what this book is about. He wrote an entire book about, uh, based on that premise of, this is a book that he wrote to his friend, uh, Fred Bratman, um, called You Are the, the Life of the Beloved. You Are the Beloved. And so one of the things that I want to dive into today is um, what that means for not only you individually, but I kind of want to begin uh, by talking about what that means for us together, that we, we as the body of Christ, Britt just came up and became a member of the church. And that, what does that mean that we are a part of a church? It means that we're marked by the love of God, that you have experienced the love of God personally in your life. And we come together as a community around that dynamic that we believe that God is at work and that he has worked through Jesus in his life, death, and resurrection by expressing his love 
so that we can come together centered on the love of Christ. And so I want to talk about that. Particularly, uh, I'm going to invite you now to turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 16 and 17, and, uh, and then we're going to jump to chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. So over the next few weeks, this is a topical sermon series, so we're going to be kind of jumping around and some New Testament texts, okay? So let me read, uh, again, 1 Corinthians 10, 16 and 17 to start with. This is Paul speaking to the, the uh, church in Corinth. And you might find these words to be familiar because these words are the words that we say every Sunday around the Eucharist meal. This is what he's saying to the church in Corinth. He has just addressed them in verse 14 as the beloved. He says, The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break, is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread... We who are many are one body, for we all partake of one bread. Let me jump to chapter 11, verses 23 through 26. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, that the Lord Jesus, on the night when he was betrayed, took bread. When he had given thanks, he broke it. And he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also he took the cup after the supper, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it and remember it for me. As a, for as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Friends, this is the word of the Lord. Praise to you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for the gift of that you, the gifts that you pour upon us. The gift of life, the gift of breath, the gift of one another, the gift of community, that we can be together, the gift of being able to share a handshake, a smile, a conversation. These are all good gifts that you give because you are a good God. Thank you for the gift of your word, that you give us a good word of salvation, of mercy, and of love. Thank you for the gift of yourself, that ultimately you are a loving God. We pray that we would, as we hear your word, as we explore your word together, that we would, you would give us eyes to see, give us ears to hear. Literally, give us, uh, help us experience even now in this moment, the love that you have so graciously poured upon us. We pray that, you, that your word would be the power of salvation for all who believe. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So I'm going ahead and marking um, November 20th to December 18th as going to be the most unproductive month of, my, of, of this year for me. Um, every four years, usually, the World Cup occurs, usually during the summertime. And all, most often, uh, any, any soccer fans in here? Yeah? Yeah? Somebody's like, eh. <laughs> eh. All right, we, you're, you're, we got to get you over on the, the hump. Yeah. All right. In the past, so I, I didn't grow up around soccer, but um, back about 20 years ago, I began to, uh, be, I 
gathered around a community of people who loved soccer, and I began to watch soccer. And every four years, the World Cup comes, or the World Cup happens, and I just, my world stops, and I just watch the World Cup for about a month. Um, it, most often, it is the most unproductive month of that year for me. Back in 2014, uh, when the World Cup was held in Brazil, that was actually my introduction to the, uh, the World Cup. I went on a mission trip in 1998. I never watched a soccer match in my entire life. And all of a sudden, I was immersed in this culture in 1998 in Brazil when Brazil was in the World Cup. And, I mean, I thought sports were, I thought I grew up as a fanatic sports fan. No. This was another level of sports fanatics in Belo Horizonte, Brazil. So I kind of got hooked. I got hooked into watching the World Cup because of that 1998 experience. And then in 2014, the World Cup was held in Brazil, and I was like, I'm all in. I'm all in. I began, I, I began to get so immersed in it, I began to... Look, I was looking at how I can kind of connect, you know, do I buy a jersey? What should I do? So I decided that I would get a World Cup haircut. <laughs> Let me tell you what that means. I, I researched, the, I decided, I was watching France play, and I decided that this one player had a cool haircut. It was a mohawk, and so I took a picture of him. At the time, I was living in New York City, and I had a Polish, I called it Polish barber, and I took the picture to my barber, and I was like, I want this. So he gave me a haircut. He gave me a, a, a mohawk. I was so, I was like, so I had a mohawk for about a month, because <laughs> I was like, I'm all in. You ever, is this just me? Am I crazy? You ever, <laughs> you ever like do something like this? I mean, so Atlanta United fans, you guys like, you, you maybe wear your Atlanta United jerseys, but I got a mohawk. I thought I was all in. Well, one of my really good friends at the time um, was all into this experience too because he and I were on the mission trip together in Brazil in 1998. And I was watching um, Brazil play in the semifinal at the time and all of a sudden I see my friend on TV at the game in Brazil. He had gone all the way, he had taken the fanaticism to another level where he was like, you know what, I'm not only going to get a haircut, I'm going to go to Brazil and go to the game. He was all in. He was all in on that experience. Um, why, do we do, why did I do this? Why did I decide that I was going to get a haircut because I wanted to be a part of the World Cup? Why did my friend decide to fly down to Brazil to go to a game? Why do we do these things? You know, why is it that we, you know, the Braves just lost yesterday, and, and I was on social media, and everybody's kind of lamenting together because their team lost. There's something about being a part of a community. There's something about feeling connected, right? Feeling connected, even if it's, no matter if it's sports, no matter what it is, there's something about being connected and feeling like you're a part of something bigger than yourself, there's something about, like, when you put that Atlanta United jersey on or that Atlanta Braves jersey or whatever it may be, you feel like, I'm a part of this community. I feel known. I feel like I can belong here. There's something that is important about that. We crave. We crave connection. We crave some sort of connection where we feel valued, where we feel wanted, where we feel loved. And it's not just sports communities, but I want you to think for a second, what community for you is it that you feel most known, most, where you belong the most? How would you answer that question? Is it your family? 
Do you feel like, hey, I feel like my family is a place where I feel known, I feel loved, I feel safe? Maybe it's your friends. Maybe there's a group of friends that you connect with where you feel like, hey, these are people I can, I can come to and tell anything, and they will still not only love me, but they will like me. <laughs> is there, do you have friends like that where you can feel safe? Maybe it's a, your work community. Maybe you feel like you're in a, a place of work where you feel like valued for your production, where you feel valued for your skills, where you feel valued for your experience. Maybe it's your work community where you feel like, hey, I like working here because I feel like I belong. We all want to be a part of a community where we feel like we're valued, where we're known, where we're loved. And so often, (laughs) when we get to be a part of these communities, when we experience these communities, so often maybe you hang out with your friends where you feel known, you're like, we got to do this again. You ever say that? We have to do this again. I can't wait till we get to do this again. Or with it, maybe it's family. Maybe I'm going to a, later on this afternoon, I'm going to a family gathering, right? And, and the family most often says, hey, I look forward to doing this again. We're going to mark it on the calendar when we get together for Thanksgiving, when we get together for Christmas, because we like being together. Do you ever have that where, you, hey, we got to do this again? Or, man, I can't get enough of that. You leave a place and you're like, it's so good, I can't get enough of it. <laughs> Even I, I quoted this a um, a couple weeks ago, or about a month ago in a sermon, even the atheist, uh, Jean-Paul Sartre, admitted that there comes a time when one asks, even of Shakespeare, even of Beethoven, is that all there is? Because even in these communities where we feel belonging, sometimes it's just not enough. There's something deeper there. There's something deeper where we want to feel known and valued. Even in the most, even the places of family, friends, work, sometimes you just can't get enough of it. You want more, you want more, you want more. And that's not, the opposite can be true as well, where we can have communities, sometimes these same communities, where we uh, can be groups where we feel disconnected, where we feel unwanted, where we crave something different. Maybe it's those same places. Maybe it's your family where you, you don't feel like you're loved or it's a safe place. Maybe it's your friends where, hey, I, I got to get some new friends because I don't feel, I feel judged all the time. Maybe it's your work community. If I, if I went on your, your, your Google search right now, I could probably tell <laughs> where you are. Are you searching for a new job? Are you searching for a new home? Maybe you don't feel welcome around your neighbors. Simply go to your Google search and see that can be, kind of tell you if you feel the places where you feel unwanted. Maybe you're trying to look for a vacation because you're trying to escape. You're trying to get out of your current reality. We, so often these communities not only can be places where we feel valued, but oftentimes we feel devalued and unloved, and we get in this sort of downward spiral of complaining about everything. And so often sometimes these, this complaining can be Uh, an indicator that we crave something else. And so often, sometimes when we have withdrawals after we get a part of, to be part of something good, that can be an indicator that there's something more out there. Last night, my my daughter uh, was like uh, wanting to have a family night and wanted to watch this movie, which was a Broadway show called Dear Evan Hansen. Anybody ever 
watched that or seen that now? Yeah, you have? Yeah? Well, I, um, I was kind of more in a sports mood, not in a Dear Heaven Hansen mood. Um, so I was like, I convinced her, I was like, just let me watch the trailer. So we watched the trailer, and I mean, most of you may know, this is about a story about this, uh, this individual who has a lot of social anxiety, and he's going to a counselor, and one of his assignments is he needs to write something to himself every day uh, so that he can, just something good about that day. So often it's centered around maybe himself, like a good message he needs to hear, like, hey, dear Evan Hansen, you're good. Today's going to be a great day. And then the story ends up, um, where the, his letter ends up in, a, in the hand of somebody else that ends up um, uh, committing suicide and, and it begins to explore like this, this idea of how we all feel alone. Like how there's a, common, there's a common dynamic that we all go through where at some point in your life or maybe every day for some of us, we feel alone. You ever feel like that? Do you ever feel like you're alone? I know I do. I know I often feel that very much in my life where I feel like I'm alone. Does anybody know what I'm going through? Does anybody have any idea what's happening? You feel alone? It's a more common <laughs> than we would think that we feel alone in our lives. And one of the things that I want to uh, look, the reason I want to look at this uh, text and this passage and around this community is the message that Henry Nouwen gave to his friend and to, uh, to his friend Fred Bratman was you are the beloved. And that that's rooted not in anything about yourself, not in anything that you can bring to the table, not in anything about your characteristic or skill or experience you have, that you are loved by God because of who he is not because of what you bring to the table. And that's really what I think is going to grip us to actually be rooted in having an identity found in Christ, is knowing that you are loved by God because of who He is, not because of anything that you have done or not done, but because of what He has done in Jesus. And that's what we're talking about, is, is that you are loved by Jesus, who is the bread of life, who himself can satisfy, who himself can give you what you need, all that you're craving for. That's really what we're talking about. We, we so often crave, no matter if we experience a good thing or a, heart, a place where we feel valued and it's not enough, or a place where we feel devalued and we want to get out, that really is an indicator that you, have, you were made and designed for God himself to give you to give you that love that you were made for. So Jesus, um, in this text here, one of the things that, uh, that Paul is exploring is that Jesus forms a community that he nourishes, namely the church, where our cravings can be satisfied because of who he is, because he of how he defines it by his love. We can be nourished with an eternal love that is given to us in a meal that is the central act of Christian worship every Sunday. So one of the things I want to explore is this idea that not only you are the beloved, but we are a part of the beloved community, right? So I, when we come to this meal, I spoke, we, we're going to explore this in, in a little while together, um, eating the meal together. But I want to reflect on these words with you uh, from 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and 11. 
And what that message is to, it's to you. You are the people, you are part of the beloved. Not only are you the beloved individual, but you are the beloved community. And for so often, for some of us, uh, that might be, those might be hard words to hear because I don't know about you, but for me, when I, I, you know, come to church and oftentimes um, I not only can feel alone at church, not known, but I can feel like sometimes I've been hurt by the church. And for most of you here, I would guess that you have been hurt by the church. Um, You've been hurt because the church itself is a mess. You know, one of the things that Britt Brit just became a member, <laughs> one of the things that we do at membership interviews is I try to make sure, I've done, um, you know, hundreds of these before, and I try to make sure that I'm like, hey, Britt, or hey, whoever's becoming a new member, you know the church is a mess. <laughs> like, don't just think that this is a, a utopian community where you can come and experience all only love, but this is, you're going to get hurt, and, you know, this is a place where people get hurt. The church is a mess, and it's always been a mess. Just open up the Bible. You don't have to turn too many pages to look. In, in Exodus, Moses, <laughs> as Moses was, when God was trying to nourish his people in the wilderness, they complained. It's always been a mess because we always complain. We're always trying to, uh, to figure out how we can define the church rather than the church. God himself defining the church. It was during the time of Paul and Corinth when there was idolatry and divisions and factions. There's, the church is a mess today, and that's the context in which Paul finds himself in Corinth. These divisions, this idolatry, these factions. And yet, it's this mess that Jesus has chosen to say, you're the beloved. I'm going to nourish you with this meal. And he's not only chosen to love and to nourish, but to stay faithful to. And so all that to say, um, I'm going I'm, I'm to get to my points, believe it or not. I, am, I have two points, so I'm going to get to them. Um, this is what makes the church distinct. Again, I want, as we get to these two points I want to make, I want to say this one last thing in the intro. The church is distinct because it's a community that is primarily not about what you bring to the table. It's not about who you are. You don't have any innate qualities. It's not about what you do. It's primarily about what Jesus brings to the table. It's primarily about what he does, his body and his blood poured out for you. The church is primarily a community of people who are loved by Jesus. Not because we love God well or we love one another well. No, it is because Jesus loves us with a perfect eternal love. In other words, the church is a community that is defined by what we are given not what we offer. Not even what we offer to one another. All we have to do is think about what you do when you come forward for communion. All you have to do is come, up with, come forward with empty hands. And you're given. And that's how, that's a picture of what you are defined by. The church is the beloved community. And so here's what I want to do. I want to take the next uh, few moments to, to talk about what it means to participate in this community in the beloved community, by, considers, by considering who nourishes us and what we are nourished with. So my hope is that instead of us thinking about how we define ourselves uh, as a church by what we bring to the table, I want us to flip the script and define ourselves by 
who Jesus is and how he nourishes us. So when you participate in the Lord's Supper, you are nourished with two things. Two things I want to hit, hit up uh, with, this, with this text here. You are nourished with a unifying love and with a radical forgiveness. A unifying love from the one who feeds you and a radical forgiveness from the elements he gives you. So let's start with, let's start with that. Let's dig into the text now, all right? Let's dig into the text here for a minute. Actually, I want to start in 1 Corinthians 11. These are very, again, these are very familiar words. We say them every Sunday. So if you look at chapter 11, verses 23 through 26, it is the scene that is reenacted in every Lord's Supper. And these are the words that we've heard before. Uh, but I don't want to overlook uh, that Jesus is, like, who, who actually is the host of the meal? He is the one speaking and feeding his disciples. And let's remember the very essence of who Jesus is. Jesus himself exists in the community of the Trinity. So if you look at these words here, For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, the Lord Jesus, on the night that he was betrayed. He took bread when he had given thanks, he broke it. and said, This is my body which is given for me. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, he also took the cup after the supper, saying, this cup is the new covenant of my blood. Do you hear that? There's my body, my blood. He is the host of the meal. We, got, we so often overlook that. When we come forward, so many, so many of us, sometimes when we come forward to this meal, we are thinking about ourselves. We're thinking about, am I worthy to participate? And what I actually want to do is to say, this meal is... It is a time for you to reflect on, on your own self, but in relationship to what Jesus says about you, that this is his blood, this is his body, this is his meal. So we need to listen to what he says and who he is. And so I want to encourage you, not only today, but as you come forward every Sunday to take communion, <laughs> I want you to be thinking about who Jesus is and in order to do that, let me, let's just flash back to a scene here. Jesus' baptism. Do you remember what happens in Jesus' baptism? It's one of the, the, the only times in Scripture where we see the Trinity coming together as one. The Father pronounces words on Jesus where he says, You are what? My beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. Jesus hasn't even started his ministry yet. He hasn't even started his ministry yet. And what that is is a picture of this, this perfect union and this perfect relationship between the Father and the Son. And in order, this is somebody who, somebody who, uh, who has, exists in love and the Spirit comes down like a dove. And you see this beautiful picture in Jesus' baptism of the unity between the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And that is the, who the, is the host of this meal. That's who's saying this. That who, what is, Paul is talking to the church in Corinth who's dealing with divisions and factions and all these things, and he's saying the host of this meal is somebody who exists in unity of love. And so therefore, the purpose of, of this meal is going to be a love that brings unity. He pours out his unifying love on us. Wes, can you put up that uh, Teresa of Avila quote? So this uh, St. Teresa, she says this, um, Believe the incredible truth that the beloved, Jesus, <laughs> the, one who the one who experiences love and unity, 
has chosen for his dwelling place the core of your own being because that is the single most beautiful place in all of creation. What, a, what an interesting quote. That it's not necessarily that what, about what you bring to the table, but it's about what you're given. And that when we partake of the bread and the wine, that God chooses to give you himself through the bread and the wine so that you might experience his love. So when I was uh, living in Brooklyn, I would often go to, um, every summer we would go to this uh, single A team called the Brooklyn Cyclones. They, uh, they, the stadium was probably one of the best stadiums I've ever been to. It was um, right on Coney Island. Uh, it, was set at, right, it was like there was the amusement park and then there was the, the MCU park, which is right there. It was right along on the boardwalk of the beach. Um, and it was the, the single A team. It was this, a team of the New York Mets. Um, and, uh, and it was a cheap ticket, get a cheap drink. It's one of the best experiences uh, of baseball, going to a baseball game I've ever had. Um, I still, one of my favorite baseball caps is a Brooklyn Cyclones hat. At the very, uh, one of the things that I would often do as I would go to these games is I would uh, stop because there was a statue at the very, um, yeah, you're shaking your head. You're like, you've been to some of those games. Um, there was a statue of Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese. And so oftentimes I would go and I would just stop at the statue because I wanted to see, um, kind of, I wanted to remember the story. It's the story of Jackie Robinson and Pee Wee Reese. If you don't know the story, um, Pee Wee Reese, or Jackie Robinson, was, was the first African American to play baseball in the major leagues. He pray, played for the Brooklyn Dodgers, and in his first season in 1947, Jackie received a lot of hate from the fans, the other teams in the league, and even some of the players on his own team. And on one occasion, when the Brooklyn Dodgers were playing in Cincinnati, this was Pee Wee Reese's hometown, um, they went to take the field, and the, fan, the fans began to shout nasty obscenities toward Jackie. These were the people who loved Pee Wee Reese. Pee Wee Reese trotted over to Jackie and just put, around, put his arm around him as the fans were yelling obscenities. This was a place where Pee Wee Reese was loved. And he put his arm around him and looked up to the fans to show a moment of, hey, this, is, this person is my friend. We belong together. It's such a picture of a time of division in a time of division, it's a picture of unity. And the reason I stopped to meditate on that, not just when I would go to the Brooklyn Cyclones game, but the statue reminds me of what we are called to be together as the beloved community. The reason I talk about this as a unifying love, because the Eucharist, the, the, the Lord's Supper in the church can be such a, division, a place of division. So often we... We try to organize ourselves around our common interpretations of it. How do we, what do we believe about the Lord's Supper? What do we believe about the elements of the Lord's Supper? And so often, whether you come from a Baptist or a Presbyterian or a Lutheran or a Roman Catholic, so often we organize ourselves around what is your interpretation? What do you believe about the elements? One of the things that I want to get you, and, and those things are important, but one of the things that I want to kind of challenge you with is, so often we organize ourselves around the common interpretations of what we believe about this meal, 
But what if we were to organize ourselves around who Jesus is, around the fact that we have a common Savior, around who He is? What would that mean for the church? What would that mean for us if we can come to a meal together where the Jesus Himself, who is part of the Trinity, who experiences unity together, who says, this is my body, this is my blood, this is my meal, the host of the meal, this is meant to be unifying. So when we come together, it's not just about you taking the meal, taking, drinking the, the, the wine and taking, eating, eating the bread. You're doing it together as a body. <laughs> we come together and we do this as an act of worship together. So friends, I encourage us that as we as we think about this, that we would be challenged to not think about ourselves individually, but that we'd be think about how this defines us as a community. Friends, it's not about our common backgrounds, our common experiences, our common struggles. That's not what brings the church together. What unites the church is that we have a common Savior, and that He's the host of the meal, and He's the host of our common life together. And so you are the beloved because of who He is, we are, we are the beloved because of who God is and who Christ is primarily. This is why we make a priority to spend time hearing from Jesus and centering ourselves around him in our small groups. This is why we, so that we can embody his unifying love to one another. So that's my first point. I just wanted to, to, to challenge you as you think about the fact of what it means to be the church, the body of Christ, what it means to be the beloved, that as we come to this meal that you remember the, who is the host of the meal and that we have a common Savior. So moving on to the second point here, radical forgiveness. When you participate in the Lord's Supper, you are nourished with a unifying love from the one who feeds you. You're also nourished with a radical forgiveness. I'll tell you a quick story. I was reading a book um, uh, that uh, brought up this. This is a book called Low Anthropology by David Zoll. Um, and you can go ahead and put up that picture. I want to give you, share a story of, of forgiveness. This is, a, this is Mary Johnson and O'Shea Israel. And you see them hugging together. But let me tell you a little bit of the story about these two. In 1993, in February of 1993, Johnson, Mary Johnson, was told by the police that her only son, her 20-year-old, uh, was dead that he had been shot and killed by a boy named O'Shea Israel after a confrontation at a party. During the first few months of grieving into the trial period, Johnson says she believed she had forgiven the son's killer, O'Shea. In her courtroom statement, she said this because she says the Bible tells us to forgive. But later she admitted that the root of bitterness ran deep, angry, sorry, anger had set in, and she hated everyone. So he was, uh, 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 O'Shea Israel was convicted of second-degree murder and given a sentence of up to 25 years. It was during those years Johnson came across a poem about two mothers. One was the mother of a killer. The other was the mother of the killer's victim. And she said, um, it was all about the commonality of pain, and it showed me my destiny. So she decided to put in a request with the Department of Corrections to visit Israel in prison. And here's what she said. During the visit, or after the visit, she said, We talked for two hours during which he admitted what he'd done. I could see how sorry he was at the end of the meeting for the very first time. I was genuinely able to say that I forgave O'Shea. He couldn't believe how I could do this, and he asked if he could hug me. When he left the room, I bent over saying, I've just hugged the man who murdered my son. 
Then as I got up, I felt something rising from the soles of my feet and leaving me. From that day on, I haven't felt any hatred, animosity, or anger. It was over. In March 2010, O'Shea Israel was released, and Johnson welcomed him home with a big party. Today, Johnson calls Israel her spiritual son, and she carries a locket with a photo of each of her two sons on either side of the medallion. (laughs) Isn't that a picture of, like, radical forgiveness? And the reason I tell you this story well, number one, because I cannot even imagine doing something like that. But this is what we experience <laughs> when you come forward and take these ordinary elements. When you come forward and take bread and take wine, what makes us so common is that we are people who've been forgiven. Friends, if you're, whether you are a, a, a part of the church or not, whether you're visiting here, that's the one thing I want you to know is what marks the church is that It is defined by radical forgiveness. Jesus has radically forgiven you. He has radically forgiven you for the ways in which you have completely lived apart from him. And until we get the gravity of that, we're not going to be motivated to embody his love. So if you look back at verses 10, (laughs) chapter 10, verse 16, and I'll I'll, I'll move towards closing here. The cup of blessing that we bless, is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? Is it not a, what does it mean to participate in the blood of Christ? Why is, was the blood shed for you? Because we all had sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And God, in, by sending his Son in Christ, has forgiven us. His body and blood. These are tangible elements. Track with me here, and we're going to move into communion, actually. These are tangible elements that you can touch, you can taste, and swallow, and digest. Jesus wants us to know as deep as knowing goes. That's why he gives you elements that you taste. He wants you to know as deep as knowing can go that you are forgiven, that you are radically forgiven. And the church is a distinct community because in order to come to the table and to receive this meal is to acknowledge that you have a common need that you're a sinner who is in desperate need of the forgiveness of Christ. When you receive the bread and the wine, you're receiving what is symbolized through the power of the Holy Spirit. And what is symbolized is Jesus, who came, Jesus, who came into a world, who came into this world and became flesh, who lived as one of us, who gave himself on on the cross to die as one of us so that we could be forgiven. So when we take these elements... This is where we find out who we really are. This is where you find out who you really are and where you can find ultimate truth, that you're loved, that you are the beloved. How are, we going to know that you, how are you going to know that you're the beloved? You're going to know that you're the beloved through this meal. And so actually I want to, I want to move, I'm going to do a little something different. We're going to go straight into communion We're going to, instead of going into offering. We're going to go straight into communion today. And I want to invite us to proclaim the mystery of the faith together. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. It is right and good at all times and all places to give thanks and praise to you, Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. Father, we thank you that you've loved us so much 
You've loved us with a unifying love and with a radical forgiveness that you've sent Jesus into this world so that we would not only see, but know and experience personally, communally, your love for us. Jesus, thank you that you gave of your flesh, of your body, that you died and you were raised in new life so that we might know and experience your love. Thank you that we have your word, we have your sacrament. We can come together as people who are loved by you around a common table, around you, a common Savior. We pray that you would feed us now. Spirit, be with us. We pray that you would nourish us with the body and blood of Jesus with this meal. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.